Lord our God, you are great. You are majestic. And you are awesome in love. As well as power and might. As we gather today to worship you, we know that you are present with us. We ask that you would make us sensitive. Continually aware of your spirit. As we worship together. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are in worship today. One thing I want to uh, make sure you're aware of is that next Sunday we begin summer Sabbath schedule for Sunday worship. So we'll be gathering for one worship service at 10 o'clock. So please be aware of that next Sunday and that will continue uh, on into the first Sunday of August. So uh, please uh, take note of that uh, schedule change worship at 10 o'clock. We are uh, always happy to uh, welcome new little ones into uh, the, our family, a church family. And this morning we have the privilege of uh, dedicating another one of our children to God. Matt and Jamie, God has blessed you with this little one. And today you come to dedicate God's gift back to him. You're here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ. And in this public act of dedication, you are declaring your desire that... She would be raised in the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of this church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that she would learn early the things of God and that her life would be defined in a lifelong commitment to God to the very end of her life, that she would receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. In order that this would be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord. To watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines. To direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity. To direct her feet to the sanctuary. To restrain her from evil associates and habits and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's Gospel we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. name have you given your child? Kaylin On behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you, Kaylin, Isabella, Faith, Cox, to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As 
I mentioned many times as we dedicate our children to God, this is a, this is a covenant between uh, parents, God, and us, the church. We know that God is faithful. He will always be faithful to Kaylin throughout every moment of her life as he has already been. Matt and Jamie and their family have made their commitments to do everything in their power through the grace of God to help her to know Christ and to follow Christ all of her life. And we also have a responsibility. Our children are nurtured in the faith by the church. And God may give you opportunities in structured ways, often unstructured ways, just serendipitous moments when our lives interact with little ones. And we have the chance to reveal the grace of God to them in a variety of ways. And so this morning, I'd like to invite you to stand and to affirm your support and love and care to Kaylin and to this family. As the Church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Kaylin grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Let us pray. Father, we come again today to give you thanks for the gift of children. And this morning, we especially thank you for Kaylin. We thank you for bringing her into this world and blessing this family with her presence. Father, we know that you love her with an everlasting love. And we pray that throughout her life, she will have a desire to respond to your love by loving you. Father, we pray that you will watch over her and protect her. We pray that she will know your goodness and your grace on her and that she will respond positively to it every moment. Lord, we pray for Matt and Jamie as parents and this great, uh, wonderful and difficult task of being parents. We pray that you will bless them. Give them all that they need to be the parents that Kayla needs them to be. We pray that as they live their lives following you, that Kaylin will follow their example. And we pray, Lord, that you will bless them in every way. And we pray for Lauren as a big sister, that she too will have a heart turned to you and that her faith will be an inspiration to her little sister. We pray that you would protect her and watch over her and bless Lauren's life as well. Bless them as a family. Lord, thank you again for the gift of this little one here before us today. May she know your grace upon her and may you help us as a church to do everything in our power through your grace to nurture her faith. Thank you again for her. May your blessing rest upon her life every moment. And we give her to you in love and in anticipation and expectation of all that you're going to do in her life. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The Father has blessed us in so many ways. We have the opportunity to give back to Him. Ushers are going to come and assist us as we give to God our tithes and our offerings. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is 
I just wanted to mention a couple of things uh, about our prayers before we pray together. Uh, I'm going to pray for Florence Tuber, who is uh, in the hospital and now is at the nursing home, requesting our prayers as well as others on our list. 
I also want to pray for uh, Mike Jordan as he preaches for us this morning. And Mike is the dean of the chapel at the college and uh, been a part of our church for a number of years. And also we received a note this week, um, just an update on Emily Crickler. We have been praying for Emily for quite some time. And her family sent a note out and just simply uh, summarizing it is uh, seven years ago, Emily was struck by lightning and uh, from that suffered a severe brain injury. And uh, she has been on a uh, quite arduous recovery since that point. But her parents sent a note this week just letting people know that she is making progress. Uh, the doctors are optimistic that she will continue to make progress. And so we want to continue to pray for Emily as well as others that we've been praying for a short term time and a long time uh, in our times together. As we uh, enter into a time of corporate prayer this morning, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is indeed the light of the world. We thank you for your grace and mercy that has been poured out upon us through Jesus. Father, as we come this morning, there are many things that take our time, our attention, our energy, many, many good things. This morning, Father, we, in the midst of those things, bow before you and ask for your grace and give you thanks for all of the ways in which you're at work in our lives. Father, this morning we pray for those who are in need today. We think of those who are grieving and we ask for your continued comfort in their lives. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. We pray for Florence Tuber, for Bunny Austin, for Mike Raybuck, for Jill Tyson and Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, for Crystal Blake and for Emily Crickler and others who are on our minds and hearts today. We pray for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we continue to pray for our world. We pray for uh, those who are continuing to recover from the earthquake in Nepal. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world, many of whom face threats and persecution. We think especially of some Christians in Colombia who have been threatened in the midst of this long civil war. We pray, Father, that you will give them courage Give them strength. Give them the assurance of your presence. Father, we pray that you will work miraculously in their lives and that others around them may see your miracles and know that you are present and you are at work. And may it bring about dramatic change in in this difficult place. Father, we thank you for the work of your people who have gone and served around the world and This morning, we pray for Ambassadors Football, 
for John Ortliff as we have watched this ministry grow and grow and explode with growth. As they minister in so many places of the world. And we pray, Father, that that you would bless them and you continue to use them. And as they use sports as an avenue to reach into people's lives, we pray that there would be change, that hearts would be open to you and that, that people would come to know the joy of life with you. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you are at work in us, in this place, in the surrounding towns and villages and in our world. Father, pour out your spirit on each one of us. Pour out your spirit in our lives, in this church. Thank you for what you're doing. Be glorified in our worship. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 18. Following the scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. 
But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Please stand and join us as we sing.
I just want to begin by uh, thanking Pastor Wes and the staff for allowing me to speak here today. I, uh, this is a church that I'm really privileged to call home, and uh, so much of my love for this place centers on the pastors that we're blessed to have, and there are a lot of good preachers on the staff, so I'm very honored to have a chance to share their pulpit today. And I'm honored to stand before all of you as well. Um, whenever I've preached here before, I've talked about how you all, the members of our church, were a big part of Jill and I deciding to return to Houghton. Uh, we knew this was a church that we wanted to raise our children in uh, with lots of wonderful people that we've admired for a lot of years. And that's still true, but now that I've been here for a while, I also want to say I'm very happy with how our church is changing and growing. There are lots of new faces here, people I didn't know six years ago when we came back. Uh, so many people we didn't know would be part of our journey. Uh, we trusted that God would bring other good folks here, uh, but we're We're glad that God has not disappointed us. We're very glad with how the church is changing and growing. Over uh, May term this past year, uh, I led a guy's Bible study on Philippians. And when we studied chapter 2, I came to a realization. As often as I've read this passage, for all intents and purposes, I've considered it three different passages. The let this mind be in you. And uh, work out your own salvation. And uh, do all things without grumbling or arguing. And that those three passages sort of existed in my mind as three distinct ideas. And maybe that's just part of growing up in the church when you, you know, most of us get our Bible teaching one little chunk at a time uh, in sermons. And so I've always, I've never put them together really in my mind uh, until this Bible study that I led. And I had to sort of think through, well, how does this all work? And I think when we put it all together, we begin to realize what's really going on. It kind of illuminates each of the three points. So first we have this beautiful passage, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that even though he was in the form of God, he didn't hold on to equality with God, but made himself, as I think the King James says, made himself of no reputation and uh, took on the form of a slave and being found in human form as a man. This beautiful passage about how Jesus uh, descends this passage about how Jesus sort of has all this power available to him but chooses to progressively give it away. It's a deeply poetic passage. Um, if you're reading along in most translations, the text is set aside as poetry. And it's a, it's a very interesting passage because it's, it's one of the pictures of how the very early church understood the life and ministry of Jesus. We sometimes forget that the early church didn't have the New Testament at hand to help them make sense of what Jesus' life and death and resurrection meant. They had a bunch of stories about Jesus that were eventually collected into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. They had stories like this, but no real way of putting them together and sort of making it all cohere. And so often, uh, so, so this, this passage is one of the very sort of 
early attempts, we get to see to sort of say, what did Jesus' life and death really mean? And it, if we look at it, it's actually very challenging to us. We're, we're very used to rehearsing it in our heads. Um, but, but it's actually challenging, I think, to the way that we understand Jesus' life and ministry. It challenges us in a, in a couple ways. It challenges us first with the relationship between Jesus and God. Because in many of the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, especially by the time we get to John, one of the latest gospels to be written, we see Jesus with a very clear understanding of what he was going through. Very, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus understands, understands it. But, but this poem gives us a little bit of a different picture, a complementary picture, not necessarily a contradictory picture, but one that we have to have to flesh out our full picture of Jesus. We read at first that Jesus humbled himself descending to earth. He was in the form of God, but he, he took on human form. And then in human form, He emptied himself still further and became a slave. And then, as a slave, he empties himself still further and becomes obedient to the point of death. And as if to hammer the point home, we see even the death on the cross. Not only did he humble himself to this very uh, deep human reality of having to die, but he died in a shameful way. So he has humiliated himself completely. He has abased himself completely. And then the second half of it says... Therefore, for that reason, God also highly exalted him. And if if you just read this text on its own in a vacuum, away from the rest of the New Testament, it seems to imply that Jesus was challenged again and again to obey. And he was tested again and again to obey. And because he passed each test, therefore, God exalted him. For that reason, because he passed test after test after test, God said, okay, Now I'm going to exalt you. And now I'm going to give you the name that is above every name. If you read this text again on its own, it's like saying once God put Jesus through the paces, then God said, okay, now you're son of God. Now, this could be an exercise in why we don't just take one passage of scripture and build all of our theology on it. Because we know that there are other passages that imply that Jesus has a deeper understanding. And yet, this passage really illuminates Jesus' humanity. How very real this was to him. And, and frankly, if, it, if we uh, want to cover that up and say this test was not real to him, we're making him less than fully human, which isn't fair. But this is a little unsettling to us because we understand, uh, you know, 2,000 years out, we understand Jesus as co-eternal with God. That, that Jesus himself was God, that he was with God in the beginning, that through him all things were made, and on and on, you know, the creed goes. And of course, that's true, but there is also this theme present in the Bible that Jesus somehow had to learn obedience, in the words of Hebrews 5.8, that that although he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So that's a little unsettling to think about. Now, there's something else unsettling about this passage, but it's also really amazing and it's terrifying and great all at once. It's the way it starts. Let this same mind be in you. That somehow the same walk that Jesus walked is available to us. And it's available to us to choose to take. That that Christ's life is somehow available to us. That we can make the same choice as he did. That we can allow Christ's mind to actually live in us. And follow the same descending way that Jesus follows. Taking all of our rights and all of our privileges and giving them away until we're left with nothing. In order that God may then exalt us in some way. 
Now, I wish that I could tell you that I've always believed that, but I've spent a great deal of my Christian life running away from the obvious implications of this passage. Sometimes I've run away from it because I just can't imagine that Paul really wants us to do this. I mean, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus is a really nice sentiment, but I just can't imagine it really being true. I mean, I'd love to do this, but... But I know that deep down I have an unhealthy attachment to the things of this world that's not going away anytime soon. I mean, I'd I'd love to have the mind of Christ, but I also have an inferiority complex that I nurture every day so that other people will take care of me because deep down I'm afraid of giving myself away. I mean, sure, sure, I would love to have the mind of Christ. And I'd love to live each day with the calm assurance that I can give my life away because I will take it up again. I'd love that, but, but let's be honest. I mean, the best The best that I can hope for is to hide my greed. The best that I can hope for is to battle my lust to an unhealthy stalemate. I mean, let the mind of Christ be in me. I mean, sure, sure, I guess. But but I'd have to clear out, if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I'd have to clear out the house of cards of self-justification that's pretty tall at this point that's in there now. And that self-justification lets me sleep at night. It seems beyond me to let the mind of Christ live in me. I've also run away from the implications of this passage because it also seems designed just for Jesus. I mean, because Jesus could do this, because Jesus could pass every test, God gave him the name that is above every name, and God's not going to do that for me. I mean, it's not going to be at the name of Mike Jordan that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Mike Jordan is Lord. That's uh, not my goal in life. And sometimes, you know, I've thought it's so obvious that only Jesus could do this Uh, Because it's obvious that I'm not somehow the son of God. And yet there it is in ink and it won't go away no matter how much I erase it. Let this mind be in you. So what's it mean? I mean, am I supposed to let Jesus' mind be in me or not? How how can I let Jesus' mind be in me? Well, look, look, look at what comes next. I mean, that's why the context is important. That's why it's so important to realize this is one passage and not two, two or three. That Paul says... Therefore, because of everything I've said to you about how Jesus follows this way of life, therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That phrase, work out your own salvation, that could be, if it, again, if you read it on its own, it could be the life verse for a broken Western culture without understanding the surrounding context, work out your own salvation. Uh, You need to figure this out on your own, and you can, it seems to say. Work out your own salvation. Only you know your heart, so follow it. Work it out. Work out your own salvation, not mine. Work out your own salvation. Your intuitions about God are as good as anybody else's, we think it says. So just do do what feels natural to you, and that will work out your salvation. But, But of course, we know, again, because of what we've just read, thank heavens for context, because of what we've just read, that this is the opposite of what Paul means. Jesus is praiseworthy precisely because he gave himself away against all self-interest. And so his obedience, his self-emptying, 
results in an eternity where things are set right in the kingdom of God, where things are as they should be. And so therefore, in the same way, we also follow Jesus in giving ourselves away. And as we give ourselves away, we discover things being set right in our lives as a result. And we discover the saving grace of God, which has been there all along, but obscured by our self-centeredness. Work out your own salvation doesn't mean do what seems right to you, but it means, it means quite the opposite. It means give yourself away just like Jesus did until you discover that it is in emptying yourself that you best embody the glory of God in your daily life. And that's the great paradox because as we work out our salvation, as we give ourselves away, as we undertake works that help point us to God, we discover that it's God who's already at work in us. The more we make a choice to give ourselves away, the more we discover that God's enabling us to give ourselves away. And the more we look like the Christ we worship because we're walking the way that he walked. Now I want to stop here for a second and and think about our approach in our daily lives. Because often when we think, let this mind be in you, that is also in Christ Jesus. We think practically, well, there's a bunch of stuff that Jesus wants me to do that I don't really want to do, and yet I will do it. I will do this thoroughly unpleasant thing because I know that Jesus wants me to, and so I will let his mind live in me. Someone gives you, uh, you're at the grocery store. Your groceries come to, I don't know, $6.89. Give someone a 10, and instead of giving you three ones back, she gives you a five and three ones. Or five and two ones, that makes more sense, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, you're faced with a choice. Do I walk out of there with free groceries? Or do I give back the change? Well, I'm going to let the mind of Christ be in me. As much as I would like these free groceries, I'm going to do this unpleasant thing, because that's what Jesus would do, darn it. You know? (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, you get a call to do something difficult. You know, someone needs a meal made at the last minute or something. You think, well, I got a lot to do, but what would Jesus do? Look at my bracelet. I'd make the meal. Okay. Let the mind be in me. That's also in Christ Jesus. I want you to see the distinction between that approach and what what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying, take on the mind of Christ. He's saying, let that mind live in you. Just, Just let it happen. Make choices that are about giving yourself away and descending, descending, descending. Then you will discover life as it was meant to be lived. In choosing to give yourself away, you don't choose to give yourself away because you're already like Jesus. But as you give yourself away, you learn to become like Jesus. Maybe it's the reverse of what we actually do. I mean, maybe it's not that we take on the mind of Christ so we can make all these little choices just right. Maybe instead, when we make those choices, we learn to think like him. Now, think of it this way. I mean, think of your family. If you're a, a parent or a child, I mean, I know we're all part of family somewhere along the way. When I'm thinking about my family, I think about my role as a dad. And so I'm a dad. I need to pray. I need to psych myself up in order to be Christ for my family. You're the only Bible your family will ever read. Well, let's hope that's not the case. But you know, I mean, you know, you're, you're Jesus for your feet. You've got to be the hands and feet of Christ here. And so I'm going to put on the armor of Christ and I'm going to go out and fight the good fight. And I'm going to go out and be Jesus to them, even if it kills me. You know, but, but what if that's not the way it's supposed to work at all? I mean, what if I'm not just supposed to be out there being Jesus to my family? What if being a certain way to my family and making certain choices is the way that God is changing my mind and my heart? 
I, I, uh, I remember last time we visited Jill's parents, and there were a lot of family up at that point, and they don't have as big a ho- home. And so Jill and I and the four kids were all sleeping in the same room, me and Jill on a bed, four kids surrounding us on the floor. And, uh, you know, I didn't step on any of them. I congratulated myself getting to bed because I didn't, didn't step on one single kid, you know. And, uh, but midway through the night, Lucy, kid number three, starts coughing. <coughs> you know? And, of course, Lucy... Yeah, Lucy, yeah, you know Lucy. If you don't know Lucy, I mean, but this is classic Lucy. Every, every eight to 10 minutes, I would say, you know, just long enough for you, that bolt of adrenaline, you know, and then you sort of fade back to sleep and then then you're, you're up again, you know, and on and on it goes. Several hours, it seems, who knows, you know. We're all in there, and Jack, of course, sleeps through it. Jack and Lucy sleep right near each other, so he's used to it, I think. But, but Grace wakes up, and about 20 coughs in, let's say, Grace says, Lucy! <laughs> Stop it! You know? <laughs> and Lucy's like, it's not my fault! And then Gabe says, wake, 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 wake up, wake up! And all of a sudden, it's like I'm in a room full of those little peeper frogs, you know, at two in the morning. And we're all chatting except for Jack, who's down there sleeping. So we're all dealing with this, you know. Now, it's these kind of situations that we usually think call for the mind of Christ. And so we say to ourselves, or we try to say to ourselves, should say to ourselves maybe, okay, I've got to think with the mind of Christ here. How am I going to communicate with Lucy, who's got a cold, and Grace, who's angry, and Gabriel, who's now awake, and Jill, who's frustrated, and I'm frustrated? How am I going to be Jesus for each of these people? How am I going to think with the mind of Christ today in a way that helps me communicate the love of Christ? Practically speaking, at 2 a.m. in an annoying, crowded room, how am I just not going to degenerate into sheer anger? Right? How, we think of this as a time to practice the mind of Christ. And yet I think this passage challenges that approach because I want you to see the distinction. Paul's not saying take on the mind of Christ. He's not saying enact the mind of Christ. He's saying let the same mind be in you. Let it happen. Make choices that are, not, or that are about giving yourself away and descending, 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 giving yourself away, and then, then you will discover life as it was truly meant to be lived. You see, maybe the stress of 2 a.m., surrounded by grouchy sick children, is not the time to think that you have it all together. Maybe it's not then the time to practice the mind of Christ quite so much. Maybe it's the time to realize, with fear and trembling, how little of the mind of Christ lives in you. And how desperately you need to learn it. And you give thanks then that you're surrounded by these people who are in process of teaching you. Because in choosing to give yourself away, you learn to become like Christ. And maybe it's not that we steal our minds and put on a happy face and take on the mind of Christ in order to love the children as Jesus did and take them up onto my lap. But maybe instead it's when we make those choices, the choices to deal gently with someone who doesn't deserve it, maybe it's then that we learn to think like the mind of Christ. And then, of course, it's a cycle because when we learn to think with the mind of Christ, it's a little easier to practice it the next time. Pope Francis has said that the family is a school for civility in a barbaric world. What if that's true? You know, what if my family is not my primary mission field that I deign to serve with varying degrees of success? What if it's a school to teach all six of us civility and true life? The difference there is is between seeing myself on one hand as a finished product, using my brilliance with my family, sharing it with them generously... 
And on the other, very much seeing myself as an unfinished product who's giving himself away for my good and the good of the world. This, I think, is what it means to take on the mind of Christ, to find new ways to give myself away in order to discover who I really am so that I can be a kingdom person more and more every day. And yet this way of thinking is so foreign, even among us Christians. I deal with this when I talk with students who are thinking about getting married. And they think to themselves, "Will, will we always be in love? That's the question they ask themselves. Am I ready to do this? Am I ready to say forever? Will we be in love always? I ask the same question. Will I always be in love with Jill? Which was my slightly more Christianly appropriate way of saying, will I always be happy? I would never say that out loud, right? Will I always be happy? Because I know I don't have the right to happiness. But the question, will I always be in love, somehow seemed okay to ask, right? We do that in the church. We find ways to dress up this question about our own happiness. So when, when we've thought about having kids or having more kids, for us the question how always, can always somehow boil down to, will I be happy with another kid? Or how will this potential kid affect the quality of my life or the quality of those who are already born? The question rarely for us as Christians is, how can I best give myself away? When students ask me that, will I always be in love? I just want to get the question off of there. And I want them to say, Don't think about whether you'll be in love with this person. Think about whether this person is someone you want to start a school with. A school where we're both always teachers and we're both always students. And together we teach and learn any little ones the Lord sees fit to give us. A school where we learn the mind of Christ together by giving ourselves away to each other and to the world. You know, when I take care of a sick baby, even more than I show the mind of Christ, I learn the mind of Christ. When I honor my marriage vows by avoiding sexual temptation, even more than I show the mind of Christ, I learn the mind of Christ. Whenever I make a choice to put my comfort and self-interest to death, as rare as those choices are on some day, even more than I show the mind of Christ, I learn it. And of course, this isn't just for married people. Marriage and family are very efficient schools for civility. But God has other schools for civility in mind, and you're sitting in one this morning. God calls us, all of us, into relationship schools where we learn the mind of Christ by giving ourselves away to each other. And yet you and I both know that we can play the same games with our church that we do with our marriage. We say, not will this person always make me happy, but we say, will this church always make me happy? Will it do the music that I like the best? Will it provide me with relevant preaching and teaching? Will it put reassuring people around me in my preferred demographic? We ask these questions sometimes with the best of intentions because we think that we need these things to go out into the world and think with the mind of Christ. Church, we we think, is the place that provides us with everything we need to go into the world and think with the mind of Christ and act with the hands of Christ even when it's really, really hard. But but if the church does that, the church, if the church just reinforces the worldly idea that you can be a good person as long as you get everything you want, the church fails. Instead, I think the church is a place where we learn to live together despite how weird everyone else is. Some churches actually are more efficient places to learn this than others. I will leave it to you to judge how, just how efficient we are at being weird. The church is a place where we learn to put aside idols that we believe deeply in and discover that we're better off without them in the first place. The church is a place where we learn the mind of Christ by learning that despite what advertisers tell you, you can be happy even if everything is not done in the way that you choose. 
And so it's for this reason that Paul closes the passage by giving us just one word of advice for how to start working out our salvation. Just one. Now, if I had to give you one piece of advice about how to live the Christian life, I don't know what it would be, but it probably wouldn't leap to mind to say what Paul says. He says, do all things without grumbling or arguing. That's a really interesting phrase. Murmuring, some texts say. Do all things without murmuring and arguing. I was talking with a a student about that phrase, actually a student who was raised in this church, and uh, he very wisely pointed out that murmuring and arguing are both things that we do to set ourselves in opposition to others. Arguing is where we fight for the rightness of our own agenda publicly and aggressively. Murmuring, though, is when we fight for the rightness of our agenda privately in the parking lot after the business meeting when things haven't gone the way we choose. And Paul rules both of them out because he knows that they're both toxic. They're both ways to keep self-interest alive instead of making it feel natural to give ourselves away as Jesus did. As long as we are utterly convinced of our own rightness, And unable to listen to others, we become deaf to the voice of God. The more that we're convinced that we must argue others into submission, the more we think that we have to aggressively impose the mind of Christ on others instead of learn the mind of Christ by submitting to others. Does that mean we don't have opinions? Of course not. Does that mean we let anything pass for truth? Of course not. But it does mean we're always free to listen with open minds and open hearts, always willing to be sharpened, always willing to be corrected. Because we know it's our listening that teaches us to be like Christ. And it's our listening that demonstrates to a broken world that maybe their salvation too is to be found in listening. Perhaps a broken world finds the mind of Christ in us, not just when we teach them what's correct, but when we listen. Because it's when we listen without asserting ourselves that we most resemble the Christ that Paul has taken great pains to tell us about. The one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I have to tell you one more story and I'll take my seat. Yesterday I was looking around on Facebook, speaking of toxic activities. And I saw one of our students, a student at the college there, a recent grad actually, post a little post about chapel. It wasn't, it wasn't anything super mean, but it, it sort of set me in, set my teeth on edge, you know. It touched off a little gripe session in the comments about Houghton, uh, you know, how students can gripe about Houghton. They were complaining about things they found petty or backward or too conservative about this place or too rural, you know. Unaware, I think, that I said exactly the same things 20 years ago. Uh, It's just that they all evaporated into the air instead of being saved on the internet forever. But that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Now, I have to say, after I read this, I went through a few different phases. At first, I was really sad. And I still am. I mean, if you want, you know, a direct line to cut my heart out, complain without talking to me about something I've done. Oh, it kills me, you know? Anyway, I don't think I'm alone in that. But that's just, really bothers me. And, and, And it made me sad. And so... I, I, I really wanted to set them right. You know, I really wanted to get on there and post about why they should appreciate what it happened. Not in a mean way, mind you. You know, I don't even be mean. About, I'm never mean, you know. But just post about, you know, here's why you should appreciate what's happened these last four years, you know. Then I was like, uh, I better not type that, you know. Because I don't know where that could go. 
So I thought, okay, it's time to think with the mind of Christ. So I said, yeah, I should post something like, I'm praying for you. And of course, at once, that would reveal that I had seen what they had said, that I had filtered it through my oh-so-Christ-like mind, and I'll pray for you is what came out of my pure spirit, you know? I realized that any attempt then to made, I made to talk to the student would be more about my sense of needing to demonstrate my own innocence than it would to be saying anything about God or anything really helpful to them. Any words I would say would be about me needing to reassert that I was the holier one in the situation. That, that I had read this diatribe and, and still was able to be mature, Christian, sweet even. And so I decided to not take that tack. And instead I went with tack three. Just listen. As much as possible. As much as I could, as much as I had tolerance for Without murmuring or arguing, without needing to be proved right or remembered as righteous, without defending my reputation or the reputation of you all who teach at the college or work at the college, without defending our reputation of an institution that we love, why did I do that? Because I think sometimes we just need to listen. I think sometimes we just need to be incarnational without proving our sufficiency, without proving our righteousness. I think sometimes our desire to defend God is a thinly disguised desire to defend ourselves. This Facebook post was a chance for me, like Christ, (laughs) to make myself of no reputation by refusing to make an idol of my own reputation, by starving that idol within me. It was a chance for me to trust God with these young people's stories rather than to insist that I had to be a good guy. I had to be the hero. I put that aside, at least for that once. It was a chance for me to follow a man... (laughs) A man like Jesus who brought something wonderful to the world that almost no one got. So let me just put this out to you as we face the week together, or maybe as we face the years together, Houghton Church. Sometime today, in some little way, someone you love is going to drop the ball. Someone is going to hand you a scrub brush, or a professional demotion, or a crying baby, or a raw deal on Facebook or a vacuum cleaner, or a hammer and nails. These will seem tempting to say, this is a chance for me to exercise the mind of Christ. But perhaps that's not what God is giving you. Perhaps these are ways that God has of handing you a basin and a towel. Perhaps these are ways God has of handing you a cross and saying, follow me. It's okay. There's life on the other side. And sometimes I know it will be right to say, no, I can't. But sometimes it will be right to say, yes, I can. Not because I'm so godly and loving, (laughs) but because I'm painfully aware that I'm not so godly and loving. And I'm painfully aware that I'm not thinking with the mind of Christ, but I desperately want to learn to do so. Let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Work work out your own salvation like him. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for the person and life of Jesus. We thank you for the great salvation that he worked for us. We thank you for this text too, which says, follow him. Even as he worked salvation for all of us, work out your own salvation. Follow him in this descending way where you give everything away. And God, you know that the opportunity to do this is not always welcome. Sometimes it's an irritation, a minor thing, and sometimes it's downright terrifying. We, may, we pray, God, that you would make us bold to face those times, knowing that you will meet us, that you will walk with us, and that you will bring us to that life on the other side, where every knee bows and every tongue confesses you, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. Come praise and glorify our God, the Father of our Lord. In Christ he has in heavenly realms his blessings on us for. For pure and blameless in his sight, he destined us to be. And now we've been adopted through his Son eternally.
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.